you know, uh, I got some good feedback on having a little bit of that banter back and forth before recording. Is that right? Yeah, the the talking that we Who do likes back and that? forth. Well, Christina. Did. Really? Yeah, she thought that was kind of funny. It she thought it was it. unscripted. Yes. <laughs> so you want to script that into each episode now? Yes. Okay, you ready? We'll make that a uh, we'll make that a tag every time. Okay, good deal. No, well, we're going to get started now. Okay. Ready, set. Yeah. Three, Go. two, one. All right. Coming to you live from. That was really good. That was not bad. Was it? <laughs> we should put that in. Okay. Mark is parents. We want the best for our kids, right? Yes. Okay. That was an easy one. Yes, we, we're going to... That was a great episode, Jason. Balls. <laughs> yes. Amen. Next time on Internet <laughs> yeah, Radio. Fine. All right, so we want the best for our kids, and there's all kinds of decision points along the way, and uh, this week we're going to talk about a topic that could be a little bit sensitive. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it probably is. Yes. But we think that it's important enough to hit it, so here we go. In, in raising kids, we want our kids uh, to be Christians. There's a lot of pressure externally put on parents to keep up with other families whose kids uh, make that decision early in life. Yes, that's okay? true. But there's also concerns that we have as parents uh, wanting to know, are we doing right by our kids uh, when they hit certain age milestones? 12, 14, 16, that kind of thing. Yeah. Are, yeah. Are, we, are they where we want them to be in life? And have they made a decision for Christ yet? Sure. It's the biggest question yes. for them. That, of all the things that we want to prepare our kids to be able to do, that is the most important. We look at other parents and we look at other families and we look at other kids and we want to make sure that we're not doing it wrong. Yes. You know, most of the time as parents, we're doing this for the first time. We want to make sure we get it right. And unfortunately, the Bible gives us some principles. I know it's the best way, but sometimes it's not the easiest way for parents because we got to sort out how those principles have to be applied in the life of our kid. And when it comes to becoming a Christian, we really want to get those right. We really want to be able to do that. Yeah, so there's going to be an overarching question for this episode, and that question is this. At what age should we be expecting our kids, or at what age should we be encouraging our kids uh, to make a decision for Christ? Yeah. Uh, At what age, and here's the bigger question, at what age should people have made that decision by? Everything that we do as, as parents should be motivated this way, should be moving the kids, should, should be directing them to make that decision. One of the things we have to realize, though, is that is their decision to make. It's really easy for, for parents to say, you know what, I, I want to keep my kid unstained by the world. Yeah. I totally get that. I want to keep my kids unstained by the world. I don't want them to have to deal with baggage that I have to deal with. I don't want them to have to deal with the regrets or the, I don't want that for them. I think as parents, we have a tremendous instinct to bear hug our children and guard them through life so that we can drop them off in Jesus' lap when they're ready, perfect, unstained, and ready for Christianity. Here you go, Lord. They are, they are they're ready to go. And one of the things that we are tempted to do, Mark, is, is to encourage them to make that decision early in life to follow Christ because we don't want them to be tainted by the world. So that, for instance, we don't want our kids to go to college and, and be tainted by the cynicism and the worldliness and all that right. before they've had an opportunity to follow Christ. And, and so we think if we can just encourage them to become Christians before they hit those things, before they become yeah. the worldly yeah, yeah. cynics, then, then we're doing right by them. And there's a real huge pull for that. Sure there is. Kind of like a preemptive strike for it, Christians. 
Christianity. Exactly. We got dibs on this one, you, you know? But, but, we got but, in first. Yeah, but by choosing Christ, they can avoid all those problems down the road of when they go to college or even in high school and things like that, right? Hopefully they could, they could avoid some of those. But I, th- I think we have to stop and ask ourselves again the question, what is it we're trying to do in this case? We're not trying to shield our children from making bad decisions. Okay. We're trying to prepare our children to be able to make those decisions. There is a big difference between keeping kids from making bad choices and training them to have the maturity to make those choices on their own. Unfortunately, an inescapable... What's that thing you get when you take a, when you take a medication and then something bad happens? A side, side effect. Side Thank effect. you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, good. An unfortunate it's side effect of that <laughs> is... The kids are going to need a savior. If we place them in positions where they make choices, they're not always going to make those choices correctly. None of us listening to Interman Radio could say that we made all of our choices correctly right. and came to Christ in a pure, untainted state, ready for our relationship as a Christian. It didn't happen that way. And it's not designed to happen that way. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 23-24, Paul says the law is our tutor to lead us to Christ. Well, the law has a very simple function, and the law's function is to convict and condemn. You can't do that if nobody has made any errors. The law's job is to show us that we have a need for a Savior. I love the, the prodigal son story in, in Luke 15. It's so profound. But Mark... We can say that our kids have made errors at 6, 8, 10, 12 years old. Mm. So um, at 13 years old, my child has sinned. My child has made errors. So, But what you're saying is is that um, really, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we don't want our kids to make the big errors before they have a <laughs> right. chance, yeah. b- b- before they choose Christ. Because the little errors, you know, lying about taking the cookie out of the cookie jar or whatever, we don't want them to make the, the big ones. The, well, the, certainly the big ones have a lot more lasting consequences. Right. But the issue that's really at, at hand for us in this case is whether or not they've sinned against God or they've sinned against us. So as parents, our children initially come to us out of the package. They come to us pure. They come to us clean. They come to us without sin. At what point does God begin to attribute that sin to them? Okay, we'll get to that then in a little bit. So let we'll cover that in a little bit. Right. Let's go ahead and talk about the uh, the prodigal son. Prodigal son, tremendous illustration of this principle exactly. You know, the kid reaches an age where he's ready to receive his inheritance, and he's got to have it right now. I mean, the world is passing him by. He's getting older. He's missing out on all of the life he could be living. Yeah. So he hits up dad. He says, "Listen, pop, I've got to have it right now. Just." Hand it over. I, I'm I'm ready to go. I need to live while I'm young. You gotta. We've all think. been there, right? <laughs> We've all been there. You've gotta think that the old guy knows what's gonna happen. Yeah. And with that knowledge, get this. With that knowledge, he gives it to him anyway. He's actually enabling the child who's acting as an adult now. He's enabling his son to do all of the foolish things that his son is going to do. He's going to live it up with wine. And the old guy is okay with that. That's this, hard. It's That's really hard. hard. It's a, really that hard. Is, that is scary, difficult, scary hard. Well, think about it from God's perspective. You know, he puts us out here, and he knows full well that he's going to lose every one of us. 
before he gains us back. Wow. I mean, he, he wrote it, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That doesn't leave exceptions for anyone. That's, that's all of us in that condition. We all fall short. And God knows that going in, and he says, it's worth the risk because I'm going to get him back. See, the law then becomes our tutor to lead us back. We don't need a savior if we haven't sinned. Now, I'm not too concerned that your child or my child or anyone's child who's listening is going to completely avoid sin in their adult life. Pretty sure. You think they might sin? I think the odds are good that they might have need for a savior. But what we want to do is kind of stop and check that thinking that says, I'm going to keep my child from making all those bad decisions. I'm going to keep them even until the point where I'm just going to hand them off to Christ. If they're not capable of making wrong decisions, they're not capable of making right decisions either. Ah, Yeah, mm -hmm. that's something to Ah. ponder for a sec. So the gospel really isn't designed to keep us from making wrong decisions. Not initially. it's, it's It's built to deal with us after we have. Right. It's designed to save us from those wrong decisions and then empower us to make the right decisions from that point forward. So we don't want that. We don't want to discourage our kids from becoming Christians when they say they're ready. So, so Junior comes to us and they say, "Dad, okay. Daddy, I want to become a Christian because I know I sin. I don't want to go to hell." <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. So, so what? What's our response? That's awesome. What? I'm really excited for you. That is tremendous. Tell me, why do you want to be a Christian? I, I'm not going to discourage the kid from making the right choices, from being headed in the right direction. Yeah. I think that's a great thing. I'm going to encourage him. So, okay, well, what can we do to prepare you to become the best Christian ever? I mean, if, if the kid comes up and says, Dad, I want to be a fireman. I mean, go okay, for it. Okay, you know, great. all right. You want to be a fireman today? You know, that's great. We'll, we'll be a fireman. So I'm not going to send him out on calls, but what I am going to do is say, hey, what can we do to make you a great fireman? So you just said you're not going to send them out on calls. So in other words, you're going to acknowledge the fact that this is a great life decision. This is a good thing. I'm glad you're wanting to do this. Absolutely. But I'm not putting you in the fire, so to right. speak. Okay. Same with Christianity. This is exactly. great. But I, we're not signing the contract today to be held our feet to the fire. <laughs> Literally. Right. Yeah. That's, that's exactly it. These guys aren't ready. For Christianity any more than they're ready to become firemen or that they're ready to become married. Yeah, let's talk about marriage for a second. Because right. isn't that really what Christianity is? It is. We are the bride of Christ. Dads, your 14-year-old daughter comes to you or comes to us and she says, Dad, I'm ready to marry Joe and I'm going to go marry Joe. Joe who? Yeah. Uh, are, are <laughs> Who's we, Joe? Are we good with that, guys? <laughs> yeah. Okay, but what about the argument that would say that, uh, yeah, but Jesus isn't Joe. Right? I mean, Jesus That's is the true. perfect, he's the perfect groom. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about my child marrying someone that maybe is going to abuse them and treat them poorly because this person's actually going to help my child in the growing up because okay. Jesus does <laughs> well, help us grow up, right? That's certainly true. But I think, I think there's, a, there's a subtle but significant problem here. Okay. This is not a marriage relationship. What is if it? If we're handing our 14-year-old off to Christ... In order to be grown up or matured, we're talking about a parent-child relationship. We're not talking about a marriage relationship. Okay. So, you know, they're not prepared at that point to make those decisions. A marriage relationship comes with a lot of additional responsibility. This is not a parent-child. I'm going to hold your hand in the sense that I'm going to shelter you from the demands of marriage. 
Okay. So so our child, our 14-year-old comes to us and says, I'm marrying Joe. Well, you know right. what? When you marry Joe, your bank account becomes Joe's bank account. Right. Your life decisions, where you want to live, becomes Joe's. Because you're not living here. You're not living. Right. Right. You know, you're going to leave. You're you're out of the family. You're, I mean, you're yeah. on your own. You and Joe are making career decisions together. Right. You and Joe. So take Joe's name and put Jesus's in it. You know Exactly. So is, is our 14-year-old or 12-year-old... Are they ready to say, you know, my future bank account, all my financial decisions are yours, Jesus. All of my friends, my friend decisions are yours, Jesus. I'm willing to give up all that the world has to offer and run all my decisions through the filter of what do you want me to do. And I think there are a lot of 14-year-olds who would say yes, yes, and yes okay. to all those questions. Don't you think so? Well, I think there are yeah. some great, I mean, there are some good-natured who, who are going to say absolutely yes, 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 yes to all those questions. I'm totally ready for this commitment. This is where as parents we have to stop for a moment and say, all right, hang on. Is this, is this child really capable of that level of responsibility? Would, I, would this be a good decision for them and, you know, as, as their parent, there's a reason why they have to get consent to be married below a certain age. Because even our culture recognizes that they do not have the decision-making capability. Right. They may be ready to say yes, but they're not capable of counting the cost. So as parents, we have to say, am I ready to be replaced by Christ? Am I ready to let that go? Am I ready to say, you know what, I no longer have veto power here over my son or daughter's decisions. Why is that? It seems like we just changed topics here. When you say as a dad, we don't have veto, as a parent, we don't have veto power once they become a Christian. What do you mean? Well, here's a good example. So like in the, like in the Old Testament, if a, if a kid made a vow, you know, their father could step in and say, well, hang on, well, time out. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do that. That's not going to happen. We nullified the vow. We, we vetoed it. And that was placed in there to protect them from making foolish vows, from getting ahead of themselves and signing up for more than what they could deliver. As parents, it is our responsibility to make sure that our kids are not placed in positions where they're making decisions that they cannot grasp, that they cannot count the cost for. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, for instance, uh, my son is 11 years old, and he is awesome at being 11. Yes. He wants a dirt bike in the worst way. He can hear it. And they run him around our house back and forth by the railroad tracks. And every time something goes by with a small engine, he is pressed up against the glass, man, watching it left to right, right to left, left to right. Dad, right? I mean, and you can just see it's, it's so difficult. And he would do anything to get a dirt bike. I mean, I, it doesn't matter what was in the contract. He, if, if it was sitting there, you know, in the driveway, bright and shiny new, he would, he would, sign, it, he would sign anything yeah. for any length of time. It wouldn't matter. He, he, do I get a... He just he can't help himself. They're not capable of determining those decisions. As parents, our job is to make sure that they are getting age-appropriate decisions. If... They're not ready to get married, Dad. They're not ready to become a Christian. That's not an age-appropriate decision. So we have to step in at that moment and say, hang on, you're not there yet. We're glad that you're moving that direction. How can I help you get there? But we're not quite there yet. 
sometimes as parents, though, we will play that game from both angles. So um, we'll say, we'll say, okay, we want our child to marry Christ, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I still want to be their dad and make decisions for them that uh-huh. are age appropriate. So, but like, but when it when a child when when someone gets married, it's leave and cleave. They're, yeah, they're they're leaving father and mother and they're being joined to their spouse, but. And it's the same with Christ. Yes. When they're making that marriage decision, dads, moms, we lose. They're directly accountable to Christ now. Yes. They're not accountable to us. So if we sense that we're still going to be needing to protect them from decisions that could harm themselves, right. they're not ready yet. They're, they're not ready. And, and they're going to reach that point, you know, as when they reach adulthood, they, they become directly accountable to God. So trying to delay that, isn't helping them either. So we want to move them in that direction where they're taking on greater responsibility, greater maturity, and then at the point where when they can handle it, you know, when they're making adult decisions. One of the things I look for, you know, in people who ask this question is, are they currently making adult decisions? And facing the consequences. Yeah, and living with the the results of those decisions. Okay. You know, are they, are they living alone. If they're not living by themselves, are they in charge of their own financial situation? If they're still getting an allowance Mm -hmm. at 18, probably a good indication that their maturity level needs to raise. Okay. If, uh, If they haven't made some decisions as far as career is concerned, if they haven't chosen to be, you know, take some initiative, there's some areas we got to work on here. If they're, if they're not taking adult responsibility, how are we going to expect them to take Christian responsibility, which is greater? So I guess I would deal with it that way. Okay. We want them to be Christians so they can help bring others to Christ as, as part of maybe a, uh, our goal as a family is to lead our neighbors and friends to Christ. And our kids as Christians can be mm-hmm. real helpful in that work, don't you think? Yeah, I think they can be real helpful in that regard. Kids are attracted to other kids, and that's a positive thing. Mm -hmm. But since we've already laid the the foundation here that as a child, becoming a Christian is not an available option to them. Mm -hmm. So to try and say, I'll make them a Christian so they can make other kids Christians is doubly wrong. You think? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now, that's not to say that they can't be involved, and they should be involved in evangelism. Uh, I really enjoy being able to take my kids when I have the opportunity to different Bible studies with me. And so they may help out with the kids or they may sit in on the Bible study or they but they'll be involved in that thing and that's a that's a positive way that they get to be engaged, they get to be in the process. They can engage in, in making disciples and sharing the gospel. But to say that they have to become a Christian to do that is a is a wrong presupposition to begin the question with. Okay, what about this? So um, what about we want our kids to have the power of the Holy Spirit so that they can battle sin going into their teenager college years with the advantage of having Christ in them helping Mm. work through the sin? Oh, okay. So yeah, teenage college years are, you know, particularly temptation ridden Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden the world just got a whole lot bigger. Yes. You know, the, those horizons broaden, and all of a sudden they're noticing things in the world that they did not notice before, and they're beginning to, they're beginning to grow out of child into adulthood. And that is, that is a difficult place for those guys to be. And it's a place where uh, our world 
recognizes that yes. and definitely targets them yes. at that particular Absolutely. spot. Absolutely. If, if grooms them up into that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I think as parents, we definitely have to be aware of that. Uh, I think we also need to be aware of what the Holy Spirit will and will not do. Uh, if, if we say, you know, we want them to become a Christian so that they, you know, will, so they will help them in their battle against sin or so that they uh, will be able to overcome temptation, you know, I think it's important that we recognize that temptations don't change when we become a Christian. No. You mean uh, girls aren't less attractive once you become a Christian? No, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, that no, doesn't, doesn't no, happen no, that okay. way. All right. You know, everything the world has to offer, it still offers. You know, alcohol is still available everywhere it was available before you became a Christian. The temptation doesn't change. And the decisions aren't easier. I, I think this is a, a question that, that's kind of, I think it's one that gets asked a lot. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's accurate. We didn't become a Christian expecting our life to get easier, did we? No. I mean, no, we didn't. We actually. wouldn't say that. Yeah. That you know, I wanted to become a Christian so that so that my life would, be, in fact, just the opposite, right? So that all these temptations would go away. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that's just not realistic. That's that's not what the Holy Spirit is designed to do in us. So the Holy Spirit doesn't override or short circuit our decision making process. Not at all. Okay. I mean. In the same way that as we're married, my wife's interests do not override my interests. They coexist. So, you know, I am conscious of the fact that I have a commitment to my wife and that her interests are bound up in my decisions also. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't make temptation any more or less attractive. Those things are still there. And when we, if we say, here kids, become a Christian, so the Holy Spirit is going to take that away from you, that's just simply not, that's just simply not accurate. If anything, making them a Christian only makes them a target for the rest of the world because, you know, or now the world is hostile yes. toward them. You're not helping them. You're not making the world easier. Right. By no. saying, jump in early. Everyone's, everyone's gunning for them now. Right. Yeah. They become the enemy. Exactly. Okay. Mark, how about this one? Uh, what if they died today? I Ooh. want my kids to be saved. Yes. I mean, we're talking the very nature of being a parent here. Yes. That's tough because there's so much emotion bound into that question. I will consider if that my life will have been a success if there are if there are six children and one woman in heaven. I, I will if if I if I got right. that done. Yep. A lot of other stuff can go sideways, and I'll be okay yep. if, I, if I get that. So I feel that one. If they die before they make the decision to become a Christian, then, yeah, where does, where does that put us? Number one, God doesn't hold kids accountable for the decisions that they cannot yet make. So if, if we're concerned that at, that at 8 and 9 and 10 and 12 and 14 years old, that uh, you know that their sins are are stacking up against them. Yeah. Um, that's just simply not accurate. When Jesus goes to the temple in uh, Luke chapter two, you know, with his parents, he's twelve years old, and uh, they leave thinking that Jesus is is in the Dodge caravan, and he's not. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Which they find out a day later. Yeah, mom's you know, happy that about evening. this. <laughs> right. Right. So they hightail it back to Jerusalem. And it's three days that they're looking for him. They finally find him, you know, in the temple, uh, seated among the scholars of his day, 
asking questions and answering their questions and he's learning and and she drops it on she's you know your father and i have been looking everywhere for you and you know do you know what you've done to us and jesus is surprised you can tell by his answers well where did you think i would be you know didn't you know that that this is where i ought to be and this is what i ought to be doing and clearly in his mind that was his understanding I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be, be about my father's business. Doing this, right? Yes. Mary says, "Listen, you know, we, we are going home, kid." And Jesus does. He gets up and he goes home. Now, James is very clear that the one who knows the right thing and does not do it to him it is sin, right? Yes. Jesus said, "I was to be about my father's business." That is the right, right. thing, isn't That's it? That's what he's supposed to do. That's what he's supposed to do. It must be a sin that he didn't that he doesn't continue it. He continued in subjection to his parents. Ah. See, at that at that stage of the game, Jesus is not accountable directly to the Lord. He's accountable to his parents. So that happens. That situation plays out again in Mark chapter 3, okay. a little bit later in life. Jesus is again, uh, he's at home, he's in Capernaum. And uh, sadly, his mother and his brothers come to see him because they believe that he has lost, lost his, his mind. mind. Yeah. yeah, they think that he's flipped out. So they are literally coming to to take him home, you know, Jesus, come with us, you know, these nice men are going to I'm going to take you home now. And uh the crowd outside, there's so many people there. The crowd says, "Hey, listen, your mother and brothers are here." And and he says, "Who are my mother and brothers?" which probably really confirmed that he was crazy yeah, to them. Yeah. He says, "They're those who do the will of my Father who's in heaven." The the point here though is Jesus does not go home. Mom has come with the brothers. This is a this is an official appeal, you know, as your mother to take you home. And Jesus says, "I am not going." What's happened here? He, see, he's no longer accountable to mom. He's directly accountable to God. And notice how that relationship has changed. So now when the choice is placed before him and he knows the right thing to do, he does it. The right thing is to be accountable to the Lord. At this point, he's an adult. He's begun his ministry. That's where he has to make that decision. So, boy, when it comes to our kids, until they reach a level of accountability, until they reach an age where they're not accountable to us, They are accountable to God, and they've got to grow to a point where they recognize that before they're able to do anything about it. They've got to grow to a point where they realize that they're accountable to God. Then at that point, they need to take that responsibility. Ultimately, go go ahead. What what age is that, Mark? I mean, come on, give us a number. Okay, yeah, right, everybody wants a number. 18 is when they can sign up for the military. Right. right? You know, 18, they can vote. Yeah. 21, they can do all kinds of other things. Okay. (laughs) Vote. (laughs) What is it? it? 18, 19 and a half? 20 and three quarters? the uh, The only things that the scripture gives us is it gives us that instance, that window there into Jesus' life at 12. And then also we also get an Old Testament principle that I think we can that we can borrow from when uh, Israel comes out of Egypt and uh, they have the opportunity to go into the promised land and they rebel. The Lord saw it appropriate to give the punishment of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and death to everyone 20 years old and up. Hmm. Those who were less than that, he said, they got a pass. Okay. Okay. But the guys who were 20 and up, there was no excuse for those guys. God held them accountable for their actions 
of grumbling and rebellion, and he said, you will die in the wilderness. So 20 is a magic, solid, rock-solid right, number. Right, the legal, right. No? So here's what we got. We have some bookends here. We have, we have at 12, Jesus is pretty advanced, I think. We can all agree with that. He, Nobody's got there before him. Yes. And at 12, he is still in submission to his parents. At 20, the Lord says, you're pretty much out of excuses. So between those two ages, the only thing we have is principles. Principles like joining the military, which is how Christianity is described, right? No active soldier entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Or being married. Okay? Or taking up your cross and follow me. When somebody becomes a Christian, they are saying, I am taking my life in my hands, I am giving it to you, Lord, and I am ready to die for you today. Not, I want to grow as a Christian right. until someday I might be able to, if I had to, and it was really necessary. They're saying, I'm ready to take up my cross and die today. One of the big problems, though, and this question has it built into it, is I want them to be saved. What if they die today? Ultimately, parents, I'm sorry to tell you this. That's not my decision, and it's not your decision. I don't get to choose if my children make a decision for Christ. My job is to try and give them the tools to make that decision, to lead them by example in that decision, to help them sort through the challenges that will complicate that decision. But at the end of the day, moms and dads, do not get this wrong. It is not your decision to make. They get to make that decision just like you got to make that decision, and we cannot take that from them. Speaking of that, Mark, what about those who they were the kid who was baptized early in life? Yeah. Maybe we should talk about that next time. Well, that would be me. And me too. So we'll t next time we'll just talk about us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Everyone's rolling good. their eyes. And we'll see you next time on Internet, Internet Radio. Radio.